Welcome to Workplace Trends with Liz Elam. I'm Liz, and I'm obsessed with the future of work and all things co-working. In our first season, we'll be focusing on one of my favorite things to roll around in my brain, design. We'll be interviewing specialists from all over the world in this five-part series, and we'll be exploring revolutionary design, new models, and the future of health and wellness in design. So let's get started. Good morning, Larissa, and welcome to Workplace Trends. Good morning. Hey, thank you so much for being up all the way in Singapore. Y'all, Larissa Murphy is the owner of Contrast Design. And when I started thinking about Workplace Trends, she was literally the first person I thought of. And I'm so excited you're with us today, Larissa. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm pretty good here in Singapore. Yeah. Are you guys currently shut down or no, no, work we're as all usual? Back to normal then. Yes. Mm, well, as, as usual as a kid. But, right. Uh, yes, we're back to the office, we're, uh, but you know, most people work flexibly, I think, and most people are a little nervous, so it's not full scale back right. to the office, but almost. Well, fantastic. I'm so glad you're doing well. So I love to do a little speed round as a get to know you. And I have created one just specifically for you. So these are just the first thing that pops into your mind. You ready? Yes. Favorite? Iconic designer. Kisha Kurakawa. Got it. Go-to couch slash sofa design. <laughs> B&B Italia. Mm-hmm. Ikea, a yes or a no? Maybe. Subway tile, yes or no? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Red front door, yes or no? No. Favorite statement chandelier? Cool. That's a hard one. I know. Favorite statement chandelier. Okay, I think off the top of my head, I can't think of anything. That's all right. Let's just go to the next one. And if you think of one, you can bring it back. Default paint color for a powder room. Pale blue. Love it. Okay, so those were just some quick fun ones. Very, very good get to know you. Interesting on the subway tile. That's one that's hotly debated in the U.S. a lot. So the reason I wanted to talk to you is when people ask me, and they often ask me, what's your favorite co-working space in the world? Because I've been to over 500 now. One of the ones I always talk about is the one you designed in Singapore, which was Collective Works, which has now been sold and Capital Land runs it. But what blew my mind was I'm so used to seeing long, boring, dull hallways with a bunch of doors and no inspiration, nothing to delight your eye and your space design blew my mind. And from from what I understand, it was inspired by origami. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Well, it was, it was inspired by the concept of unfolding space, not so much origami because origami is folding up paper. But from our perspective, it was designed from the concept of unfolding space so that the space actually is larger than it seems and that every corner you turn unfolds a new dimension of the space. So that was the principle. And I know it's really hard to describe without visuals, but, you know, for me, I think what was so interesting was all the flow and all the corners and all the little nooks. And then I was blown away when I heard that you guys actually got more usage per square foot than you would have with the straight hallways. Yeah, and that's something we've tried and tested again. I mean, on its slate, the the Collective Works was our first attempt at co-working space. Mm -hmm. And we never like to take the approach of we've been there, done it, there's a, you know, standard way of doing stuff and let's just roll it out. We always like to challenge ourselves and challenge our clients to find a new or innovative way or a better way. And so when we were working with the owner of the Collective Works, he gave us his 
you know, list of spaces required for this space. And we put together a very traditional, very conventional co-working space, you know, planning off grid, suites around the core, suites around the perimeter, corridors in the middle and some open spaces at the arrivals. And while that worked and, you know, fulfilled the needs and accommodated all the spaces he required, I just felt that it was totally lackluster. It was this, it, it was banal. It was the same as every other co-working space. There was no reason why he should have hired us to design it and not anybody else. And I'm never happy with that approach. So I thought if you're hiring us to design it, we have to be giving you something more. There has to be a benefit to, you know, working with us that you don't get from working with others. And so I kind of turned it on its head and thought, well, hang on a second. Everyone plans on this basis, planning to the building grid, planning around the core and against the window mullions around the perimeter. But it's really not an enjoyable space. It's not an experience. You know, when when people arrive and they go in, sure, you have the kind of impact, the wow factor of of the arrival space. And then, like you said, you go down long, narrow corridors that go on endlessly with doors facing <laughs> doors and windows facing windows. And, and it just feels oppressive. And to work in those kind of environments, I feel, must feel oppressive. Everyone's shut into these little cells. It's almost like a prison cell. Um, and so I just felt that we have to be able to do more about the experience. And for me, it's a bit like a, you know, a good wine. <laughs> you you have the first sip and it's wow, it's really impactful and then there's nothing there. Well, then that wine's not particularly good, but you have a great wine and the first sip and it lingers and, and the length of the finish and the complexity of what you taste just gets better and better. And that's kind of the experience I wanted to create with the space. And I felt that's really important for co-working operators because in my mind, as a co-working operator, you need the wow factor and you need the impact so that when people come to visit the space and do a tour, they want to sign up. But what I had noticed with many of the co-working spaces in Singapore is that getting people to sign up doesn't seem to be so big a challenge. Getting them to stay seems mm. to be a challenge. People move around a lot and the next best deal and they, they've moved on. Mm-hmm. And we also found that from doing our research, as we always do when we take on a new project, that many of the co-working spaces didn't deliver a great customer experience once you were in there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the spatial experience wasn't good. The ergonomics weren't good. So we hoped to address all of those. So we turned the whole approach to planning upside down. And as I said, we came up with this concept that, you know, the space must never feel tight or cramped or confined because that's the thing that makes most co-working spaces feel really oppressive. You feel really enclosed and, you know, crammed into a tiny space and, you know, Mm -hmm. you feel the high density. And while we knew we had to achieve the high density, we, we didn't want people to feel it. So we tried to design from the perspective of creating an interesting experience through the idea of unfolding space and every corner you turned unfolded a new dimension of the space. But then when we first worked on the layouts, I think the uh, owner of the space was quite confused and perplexed and said, oh my God, it looks crazy and it looks like a lot of fun, but it's never going to work. You're never going to hit the efficiency. And I said, well, that may be, but let me finish it and see how far off the mark we are with the efficiency because I'm thinking, you know, if the efficiency is like 5% less, then maybe it's worth it just because the experience is so much better. However, when we finished it, we discovered that the density was 20% higher (laughs) which is unbelievable and we really struggled to figure it out but then we eventually figured it out was because we used all the space I mean essentially in Mm co-working space when you look dedicated to corridors it's a lot of wasted space it's a lot of space not doing anything absolutely and you know it's just it's such 
a great space. And I think, you know, it's so interesting what you were saying about prison because, you know, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of spaces come out and just, yeah, just line up tiny offices against windows. And that's nice for people to have natural light and to have a view, but you're not engaging the community that way. You're just locking people up and you might as well just go back to cubicles. <laughs> yes, very much and, so, I think. Yeah. yeah. And I think the other thing that it brings up for me and a real area of passion for me and has been for many years is, you know, the mental health aspect because, you know, the buildings that we're sitting in, you know, we're spending 90% of our lives indoors and that, you know, it's really important where your employer provides for you or where you choose to work. And one of the things I'm super fascinated with, and, and I was wondering, Larissa, if you had some thoughts are on is how can we design workspaces that are better for our mental health? Well, I think, I mean, that's something that really interests me as well. I mean, it's something that I do a lot of research about. And actually, I ironically, even as a designer, I guest lecture here at one of the universities on a psychology course mm. uh, because I, I'm really fascinated. It's a two-way stream for me. I guest lecture there and I teach them about ergonomics, which is the study of efficiency of human beings in uh, workspace. And in return, I get lots of insight, information and insights from the psychology students on things exactly like this. Um, you know, how do we create better environments that promote better mental health and well-being? And it's, it's a really interesting topic because every person is unique and every person is individual. So there's no one hard, fast rule of what works for one person will work for everybody. And I think that's a lot of where our workspaces go wrong. I think, you know, we tend to roll out a workspace and whether it be on brand or on design, you know, th there's a uniformity to that and there's too much uniformity to it. It's either the designer dictating that uniformity in terms of wanting to keep everything aesthetically pleasing and uniform, or it's, you know, the, the operator or the owner of the space themselves who want to kind of main, maintain the consistency of brand. There's also a push from a budget perspective, you you know, that mm -hmm. more replication is cheaper and more cost effective. And for many design firms, replication is also cheaper and more cost effective. So to regurgitate the same thing is far cheaper than to reinvent the wheel every time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so their, their fees go much further if they're, if they're mass producing things and turning them out a bit like hotel design from the 1970s and 80s. So, yeah, so I think in terms of health and well-being, especially mental health, we have to start trying to create spaces with more diversity. Mm -hmm. And that can be quite challenging as a designer. I mean, just recently I've been working with my design team and I'm trying to teach them that what they may like and what they may find aesthetically pleasing, some of the occupants might, but some may not. So we have to find ways to kind of introduce this diversity and we have to push our own design limits. Sometimes we have to try and design stuff that we're not comfortable with at all, that we don't find aesthetically pleasing. You know, we have to mm -hmm. try and empathize with other people with other perspectives. And some of my younger team members are really struggling with this at the moment because I've put them on tasks that's really outside <laughs> their terms of aesthetic. But I think it's the only way they will learn, you know. So that I think is 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 the key for me. It's it's diversity, less uniformity. Mm -hmm. I think also it's, it's very obvious. I mean, it sounds very simplistic and obvious, but human beings are natural creatures. We perform best in nature. There are many studies that show our health and well-being improve with access to the natural environment, whether it's natural light, uh, you know, greenery, just nature generally. Mm -hmm. We need to we're out of 
years, we're better off when we're outdoors. And the built environment is the most artificial environment we can put people in. And then we we exacerbate that by making it grid-like. Nowhere in nature are there grids. No, nowhere mm. in the world trees line up and leaves grow in lines <laughs> all the same time. You know. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a fantastic point. It's very varied, and colors are very varied. And and you know, you, you through the, even just through the course of a day, the color of the light changes dramatically. So having a color scheme that's kind of monotone and gray, and these are all things that are unnatural to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that I loved, um, I was in Singapore three years ago, as you know, you spoke at Juicy, is the architecture and the inclusion of plant all over Singapore is stunning. Plants, trees, I mean, it's just really amazing because you guys live in such an incredible environment for such, and it's really been a focus there. But, you know, I've actually been reading like, lately the Healthy Buildings book, and, yes. I, and I was curious because, you know, we're starting to build healthy buildings just now. And I'm curious where Singapore is on the spectrum of building buildings that could actually make the humans inside healthier. I think we're still quite far behind the mark. I think Europe leads the way in this still. I think especially Scandinavian countries, and I think it's born out of need, you know, in Scandinavian countries where they have limited daylights throughout the winter and, you know, they have higher incidences of SAD and so on, then, you know, they have a much more compulsive need to do something about this. So therefore, you will see buildings in, you know, Northern Europe um, lead the way in this kind of thing, because they figured out quite some time ago that natural light is critical to everyone's health and well-being. They figured out a long time ago that everyone needs a view, everyone needs to be able to see outdoors, everyone needs to be able to have close contact with nature and greenery. So they're probably still leading the way on this subject. Singapore is trying really hard. Um, Singapore is trying really, really hard, especially on the greenery because you know it's such a it's such a densely populated city mm-hmm. and there's so much concrete that you know we need to balance that and so I, I do really admire the initiatives they've taken here but it all started you know with um with the former leader here Lee Kuan Yew who decided that he was going to make or his vision was to make Singapore a garden city mm-hmm. um and so that, that was the start of that kind of thinking so it was quite prophetic of him to think that this is where we need to be in the future and to kind of put those plans in motion in the 60s. And, you know, we're now seeing the fruition of those because many of the parks and green belts, um, you know, are, are, are mature now. And we're seeing the buildings with where we have a green plot ratio that, you know, however big the plot is and however much built up area you do, you have to maintain a certain uh, greenery. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's quite stunning. If you haven't been to Singapore, I highly recommend it. So, Larissa, what problems are you currently trying to solve through design? Uh, <laughs> I, think, I think the problem we're always trying to solve through design is to create environments that better support people, or at least that's my passion. And, and that's the problem I'm always entirely focused on. And, you know, that that's not one dimensional. That's very much a case of how do we support people on every level, you know, their physical health and well-being, their mental health and well-being. How do we, you know, help them be more creative, more productive? You know, my view is that the environment can make a massive contribution to society. And so that's the problem that 
I've been wrestling with my entire career and I'm still wrestling mm. with. Like, <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I, think, I think we're making huge progress. And for all the negative things that have happened during this pandemic, I really see it as a potential catalyst for really positive change. And I see it as a potential catalyst for us to really re-examine the environments we create and put people in. I 100% agree. You know, there, there are a lot of tragedies happening, but at the same time, it is really accelerating some trends that needed to be accelerated, especially health and wellness and the buildings and ventilation and all of those things that are now all of a sudden getting moved to the top of the list that had been at the bottom of the list. So I completely agree. And then I think you're such an interesting thinker and I love how you turn things upside down and on their side and look at them from different angles. So I'm super curious on um, where you look for inspiration. It's a really hard one to answer. Many people ask me this, even some of my my junior team members constantly Mm -hmm. ask this. And honestly, the best inspiration I usually find is a blank piece of paper. Hmm. I love it. I was guessing nature, but I love the blank piece of paper. I'm influenced. Obviously, everyone's influenced by nature. It's very Mm -hmm. easy to be influenced by nature. But when I when I need inspiration, I think I just look at a blank piece of paper and with a pen, and I kind of withdraw into my imagination and and visualize things. And I don't feel so confined by the restraints of what's known or what exists or how things should be. So I think that works for me. I guess everyone's different. I certainly don't feel the need to look at books or magazines or look at what other people are doing. In fact, I find that quite off-putting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you are a creative at heart. That is for sure. So it's interesting to me that you mentioned ergonomics. It's something I've been, you know, really talking about for a long time. And, you know, a, a, the vast majority of the population is now working from home part-time. What's the one design mistake that you're most worried about as people work from home? That they don't move enough. Mm, Yeah, I'm guilty. (laughs) I think, and I mean, we're all guilty. I think we, you know, when when we had the lockdown here, it was so easy to get up every morning and and, and probably the furthest distance you traveled was from your bed to your desk, you know. And I, I noticed, you know, catastrophically the amount of difference, you know, when I'm when I'm out at work, I'm constantly on the go. I'm constantly moving. I very rarely sit still for five seconds, you know, because I'm going to this site. I'm going to see a client. I'm going to another site. I'm going to meetings. I'm checking on what my team's doing. And I tend to be quite active in the office. So the idea of sitting at home with my computer all day and not really moving. And I thought, oh my God, this is going to have such a, a massive impact on people because how frequently are they getting up and moving? And is that movement sufficient? enough to undo the hours that they've been sitting for. Right. Yeah, no, I think I think you're 100% correct on that. And I think that's a really good reminder for all of y'all that are listening to this sitting down. You should go walk around. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. Since we call this workplace trends, I'm going to ask you two final questions, both around workplace trends. The first one is what workplace design trend needs to die today? Planning to a grid. Mm-hmm. I would agree. It is so boring. Okay. And what current workplace trend are you most excited about for the future? I'm really excited about the integration of technology and systems at many levels. So from the perspective of, you know, I'm working with a a small Singaporean startup company here who have developed a number of systems that are sensor-based. And while they capture absolutely zero 
personal data and they capture no data about anybody at all and what any individual is doing or who that individual is. They capture amazing data on the way space is being utilized. And that gives us really incredible data that we've never had before. And, you know, we've just, we've started, been working with them for the last three years and we've done a couple of projects where we've been able to gather data and it's so insightful, so insightful. Like, mm. for example, we've worked on one project and, you know, then the pandemic started. So we had all the data from when the office was fully occupied. When the pandemic first started in Singapore, we were all told to work split shifts. So all companies indicated three separate shifts. So the population of each office building went down to one third of what it would normally be. And then obviously we entered full lockdown where no one was allowed to go to the workplace at all. So we gathered data from all of those three periods. And what we found was absolutely staggering was that when it was fully occupied workplace, we had the utilization data of how the desks were being used, how the social spaces were being used, how the open collaboration spaces were being used and how the meeting rooms were being used. You would expect that when the population drops to one third of the usual or to yeah, one third of the usual population, that the utilization of all spaces would go down by two thirds. And what we found was that's correct. Yes, the utilization of desks went down, the utilization of social spaces went down and the utilization of meeting rooms went down. Ironically, during that same period, even though the population was reduced by two thirds, the utilization of open collaboration space went up. That's so interesting. And, you know, that kind of that's data so interesting. is staggering for us because, we're, you know, we then go and look into it. And, and actually, the utilization of social spaces also went mar- was marginally higher, even though there was a reduced population. Um, you know, per head of population, it was much higher. And so this was really interesting for us because what we thought is as people went and worked from home, it shows a trend. It shows that the nature of the way we work is changing because now that people are allowed to work from home and they're only coming to the office one week out of three, mm-hmm. the way they in the office and the way they use the office has changed. Yeah, it's so interesting because, you know, I talk to people all over the world and we've done online events all over the world. And one of the things I started asking people about is, you know, what are people choosing when they come back to the office? And I also looked at my own behavior because I go to co-working spaces in Austin, Texas, and I chose the open space because I missed humans. I wanted to be around other people. I wanted to see other people. And I like being in an open space. And so I started asking and just taking the super informal survey. And the conclusion I ended up drawing was that it's pretty much a very regional decision and also a very interesting decision based off of what COVID's doing at the moment or wherever we were. Because there were, you know, like New Zealand, people were coming back to open. There were other suburban areas that everybody was coming back and wanting their own private office. So it was kind of all over the place. But the more I asked, the more it seemed like to me, the winner was open space, which is contrary to what everybody's telling us. And so I think there's also like an interesting psychological thing happening with the planet right now where we're looking at space differently and that for the first time, the workers get to have the choice, which is literally revolutionary. 
Yes, absolutely. It is. It is. It is very revolutionary. And like I said, I mean, for me, the exciting thing and the exciting trends are how these kind of new um, technologies and systems can help us mm-hmm. understand this. I think in the past we have never ever been able to an, to really really in depth analyze how space is used and what people are actually doing in the space that when they're using it. Um, and this will really help them better. Yeah, I think the other thing is with COVID because we've had to take temperature because we've had to ask the questions, people have become, I think, less afraid of sharing some health data if it's for the good good and betterment of society. So I'm hopeful that that leads us into being able to monitor things a little bit more, not only from a space usage, but maybe even from a mental health perspective, which I know a lot of people cringe at. But the thing is, is we've got a worldwide epidemic of loneliness and depression. And we've got to figure out a way to intervene because like the latest data I heard was that like suicide rates during COVID went up 30%. Like we've got to figure out also a design way to address this huge problem because that's where we spend the majority of our time is at work. Yes, I agree. And I, and I think we be, we become, you know, more and more distant. And I was just sharing with somebody today, I was running a workshop in India with a, you know, a group of executives about, you know, returning to the workplace and their concerns and how to manage their concerns with their teams. And it's it's kind of interesting the way their perspective on things and, you know, how everyone is becoming overly reliant on digital communication. And what's really lacking in digital communication is people's ability to perceive what the other person is feeling or mm-hmm. really thinking. You, know, you, you don't get the clues. Someone says they're fine and their tone of voice sounds okay, then you assume they're fine. If you're standing face to face and, you know, they're kind of looking a bit anxious or a bit nervous and saying, oh, yeah, I'm fine. But you kind of know they're really not. And so we, with the over-reliance on digital communication, I think, during the pandemic, it's really hard to perceive what people are really feeling and what people are really thinking. And I think that that has exacerbated the situation. And I think, you know, with the advances we have in technology, I think we need to also look at that more and look at, just like I mentioned, you know, we should be designing space more from an experiential perspective. Mm-hmm. We need to look at the technology and the communication strategies where we're devising and look at the experience that they provide and figure out how do we create a better overall experience, a more holistic experience. And I think it's often a downfall in workplace design that, you know, we separate technology and physical space and see them as two separate entities and when really we should be seeing them as one and integrating them. Yeah, completely agree. And that's an excellent point. And I'm sure all of the listeners now understand why I'm such a super fan of yours. I just really appreciate you lending your brain to us this morning or this evening and having a little chat with me. Larissa, you are so amazing and I'm really thankful for your time. No problem. I was like catching up with you, Liz. So I, <laughs> I look forward to get back to Singapore when the world returns. I will. I will. And Larissa Murphy is the founder of Contrast Design. And where can we reach you if we need to hire an amazing resource out of Singapore? Well, I'm based in Singapore and you can reach me at larissa.murphy at contrast.global. Awesome. Well, I am sure you're going to get some emails after some people listen to this. And Larissa, please take care of yourself. And I look forward to our next catch up or the next time we get to put you on stage. Thanks a lot. 
lot, Liz. Great to talk to you as always. You too. Thank you for joining us for our first episode of Workplace Trends. I'm Liz Elam, and we will see you on the next episode. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a like. We'll see you next time.